So the theme that I want to explore today is the spiritual significance of higher mathematics. <laughs> April Fools. <laughs> <laughs> that actually would have been a pretty interesting topic. Interesting topic but <laughs> How many would like that topic another time? <laughs> Well, it's actually pretty interesting. It's actually a subject I did study. Yeah. So I was thinking of that topic not just, as it were, out of the blue. Uh, no, it's quite interesting and something that people have reflected on for a long time. Because uh, the very structure of reality seems to be mathematical in some ways. And so what is that about? Okay. But... Um, in a way, not today, because, uh, okay, take two. The theme of my talk this morning <laughs> is taking everything as learning. Taking all experience as part of the process of learning. And I was reflecting on that and in the light of a few things. Uh, and I came up with that theme, this theme just really uh, actually yesterday. And I was reflecting on being with the retreat in March where there were about 25 people who were there for the second of two months and about uh, 60 or so people who were there for the entirety of the month. And I was just reflecting on the fact that I was, and I was there actually part of every, you know, I was there every day pretty much for, for the uh, four weeks, although we had, I had some time away, about a, a day off away, a day off a week. And I was reflecting that this really was a training environment in which we had tremendous support to take every moment as potentially a learning opportunity, as a learning experience. There was support, there were teachings, all guiding us to, as it were, not separate out, oh, these are good experiences, these are bad experiences, but rather the model of learning holds everything. And that's what I want to explore. How can our lives and how can our practice be ones in which everything is potentially learning. You know, it's not to say everything was wonderful. There were ups and downs for people, challenges, often fairly intense challenges. And there were times of uh, insight, times of challenge, times of being lost, and so forth. And so this uh, sense of taking everything as potentially practice, or really having our practice and having the sense of learning be the framework for all experiences is the framework of our practice, and yet it's also reflective of a shift, 
away from our most habitual ways of seeing things in which there are good experiences and bad experiences and we try to accumulate the good ones and avoid the bad ones, in which we evaluate what's, what we um, encounter and experience often as either a blessing or a curse. Right. We, know that, we know that kind of conditioning. And so the model of taking everything as learning involves a shift from that model. And I'll come back to that. I'll come back to later to the habitual conditioning that makes it hard to take everything as learning, that wants, uh, that in which we're selective. Another way to say this is that we increasingly have the wisdom and the awareness and the spaciousness in which everything becomes workable, in which we face uh, whatever we encounter and we approach it as being workable. And this is an incredible contribution of practice, again, because um, nothing's excluded. Even the most difficult experiences of life are, in principle, not excluded. And when everything becomes workable, and when we shift away from that uh, pattern or the habitual tendency to evaluate things in terms of being uh, blessings or curses, uh, something changes. There's a different uh, center, center of gravity that we have. There's a a teaching which, in a way, expresses this in a little different way with a particular focus. It's a teaching of transcendental dependent origination, which I've sometimes given here. And I've given, at other times, the much more well-known teaching of dependent origination, which is the, actually, the understanding that the Buddha came to at the time of his awakening. And it's a more elaborate model of uh, the Four Noble Truths, which is about the nature and roots of suffering and the nature and roots of freedom. And the model of dependent origination is a more detailed account of what generates uh, suffering. Again, we're always remembering suffering uh, in distinction with pain. I, I teach on that a lot, using that, remember the model of the two arrows, which I teach on a lot. The crucial distinction, because the aim is to, uh, the aim is to um, work specifically with uh, suffering and potentially to um, go beyond suffering. But that's only understandable if we make the distinction between pain and suffering. It's somewhat of a technical distinction in which pain is the presence of the unpleasant, of different kinds of physical, emotional distress. And suffering is the reactivity to that distress, especially. And so in that sense, uh, we could, we will never get beyond pain or the presence of the unpleasant, the difficult, but it's, poten- it's possible to go beyond the reactivity to that difficulty. That makes sense 
as a horizon of practice. So it's a technical distinction. Important to know that because in English we often use the words interchangeably and even you'll hear other teachers will not always make that distinction. And so they'll sometimes use the words interchangeably, which can, for me, for me that's confusing. You know, because uh, we, because the horizon that's offered by these teachings is to go beyond reactivity. <coughs> and, of course, and we find that in our practice. We have all had the experience of studied some way that where we, and reactivity is shorthand for meaning that I compulsively push away in all sorts of ways the unpleasant and I grab hold of the pleasant. That's uh, reactivity shorthand for that. And we've all had experiences in our practice of being able to be with something, maybe a difficult experience, where at first we were reactive, pushed it away, and then we bring mindfulness to it and wisdom oh, I'm able to be with that difficult interpersonal relationship without immediately just being reactive with that person. And I can actually first see the emotions in myself, be with them, maybe see what's beneath them, and that helps me to be less reactive in myself. And then I can, with other skills, such as skills of communication, can be less reactive in the relationship. You know, and and hopefully be skillful and work it out you know, without simply uh, you know, having it be a power struggle right? or just end the relationship you know, because of, of that difficulty. So we all know that. In this, in this teaching of transcendental dependent origination, there's a study in particular of how we move to freedom. And the, I, I wanted to f- focus just a little bit on the starting point for this teaching is that everything changes when we have a different relationship to suffering. In other words, when I'm not so much lost in suffering, but I'm able to work skillfully with suffering. And that means in part to work skillfully with the unpleasant. Some of you know the story of uh, Jack Kornfield meeting his teacher Achan Cha for the first time. And Achan Cha say, saying to Jack, I hope you're not afraid of suffering. And Jack said, What do you mean? I came here for peace, bliss, transcendent experiences. <laughs> you know, and Achan Cha's teacher said, Basically, get over it. <laughs> uh, but he also said there are two types of suffering. And basically there's suffering that leads to more suffering, and there's, suf- there's suffering, and I think he was really meaning pain here. There's pain that we go through, and some, which sometimes leads to suffering, which is part of the path of practice which leads beyond suffering. And so... That's another way of saying we learn to have uh, everything workable. Another expression of this that I, that I love that inspires me comes from a Tibetan uh, beloved uh, yogi named Shabkar who says, let your life and practice be one. For me this is saying let every moment of your life be potentially practice. So my meditative or my spiritual practice is not just when I'm feeling good, in the groove, peaceful, loving but it actually is increasingly every moment. 
or more specifically, it includes the moments where, where there's some difficulty or distress increasingly. And we, and we know that that's a horizon of our practice. Another way of saying this is that the horizon of practice is that we move from uh, ignorance to insight or knowledge. That the basic direction of our practice is to come out of ignorance. A lot of our actual suffering is when we're caught, when we're stuck. And there's there's a quality of not knowing with a lot of our suffering. How did I get here? Why am I stuck like this? How, how am I lost? And the understanding is that, that the ultimate root of that is a kind of ignorance. And, and it's potentially the case that we can cut through the ignorance. It's really the reason that we can cut through, through, through suffering. That there's nothing fundamentally wrong with us other than ignorance. But there's no fundamental uh, deficit in our nature, contrary to a number of ideas, you know, and, and often a lot of our conditioning. Many of us have a sense something is weird with me, maybe not with others. I won't ask for a show of hands, <laughs> but we often have that. And the teaching here is that nothing is wrong with us; that we have all the all the uh, roots of deep freedom and love and insight in our being. And that the problem is not our own nature, but it's actually that in some ways we don't see clearly. We don't know. And the practice is to help us uh, come to that. This is, a, this is really an understanding that's there in multiple traditions. I, I, I was uh, reflecting also, and I, I remembered that in Western traditions, for example, in the uh, teachings of Plato, there's a very similar sense. The, the, the root problem is, is ignorance. You know, it's not, as I've sometimes explored, the root problem, the reason why there's suffering in the world is sometimes taken to be evil. And this is not the understanding here. The root problem is ignorance, which leads us more to compassion rather than to war. You know, and we hold those who are caught in uh, you know, in violence or in fighting, we hold that as ultimately a problem of ignorance. And ignorance can be very deep. Yeah. It's also a problem of learning, of, a, of engaging in a learning process. Uh, Plato, in, in The Republic, his main work, talked about the aim of life as education. And then the, the root of the roots of the word in, in some of the original languages suggests a kind of turning of our being towards insight and knowledge. And this is, this is from his text some 2,500 years ago, right around the time of the Buddha, actually. Education is not, is not what some declare it to be, putting knowledge into a soul which doesn't have it just as giving sight into eyes that are blind. The capacity to learn is present in every person's soul already. It is as if it were not possible to turn the eye from darkness to light without turning the whole body. So one must turn one's whole soul until it can endure to contemplate reality. And 
particularly the brightest of realities, what we call the good. Education, then, is the art of doing this very thing, the turning around, the, the knowledge of how the soul can be most easily and most effectively be turned towards insight, towards knowing. It is not turned, as, as of now, the right way. We're looking where it should. This is what education has to deal with. It's very similar, very parallel. We're saying that the aim of life is lifelong learning and that we can learn with every instance. And I was thinking about this also in relation to several stories that I actually heard yesterday. One was from a friend and student uh, named Glenda, who is 75, and she just received the diagnosis of Parkinson's. And um, she was describing how she related to that. She noticed initially and for some time the scared voices in her mind, right? She is uh, living by herself now and she found that scared voice of saying, I'm by myself, I won't be able to stay at home in the future, I'll have to go to a nursing home, right? And she found her mind going there. And, but she was able with mindfulness to make this all, to make it workable. And she, then, she, then she's noticed, you know, I had had ideas of myself as always being well and living to a hundred, meaning that I thought of myself as special. I was different. Now I feel I'm just like everyone else. You know, I'm susceptible to illness. And what came out of it was like uh, going beyond this separation with others. And what also came was tremendous compassion. Right? So there is that situation. Of course, it's, it's actually very work. You know, there are a lot of things that are workable. And I've put her in touch with someone I know who uh, has had Parkinson's without almost any effects for 10 years through a lot of yoga and meditation. Not, not that that always works, but in any case, it's... But the main point is that for her, there was a shift from it becoming, oh, bad news, I'm just going to get locked in my negative thinking, to it's workable, it's practice, and out of it come certain fruits, right? And I don't think she would have gone there so easily without 30 years of practice, right? That's, that's, really, that's really the point. Another, another story that I, I was reflecting on, which is really points to the sense of how, do, how does everything become practice? This was about how do we work with someone with different views? How, how are we with someone, someone with different views? Is there anyone here, when there's someone with different views, your spiritual practice goes out the window? <laughs> anyone? Yeah, yeah. Uh, the hands do go up at this time, right? And so, how, you know, there, there's that, how can some of these challenging aspects of our experience, like being with someone with different views, uh, how can that be a part of our practice? I was reflecting on the experience, which I think I've mentioned uh, at times here, of going back about, um, gosh, uh, uh, over 25 years to a time when I was uh, um, uh, teaching in universities, which I did for seven years, and I was a philosophy instructor, philosophy professor, 
And I, I became part of a program which uh, brought me out to California. We had our meetings at Esalen. Uh-oh. <laughs> it was called Revisioning Philosophy. It was wonderful. We had uh, people like uh, Houston Smith, Jacob Needleman, many of you know from San Francisco State, Susan Griffin was part of it, Charlene Spretnik, you know, wonderful luminaries. And we had, uh, I think, our first gathering, and these wonderful people, many with spiritual practices, discovered that not everyone in the group shared their views. And it seemed to be that after moments when differences would surface in the group, these esteemed spiritual philosophers didn't seem that different from other people. <laughs> and, and it was uh, for some disconcerting, you know, you know is, is, is this just a matter of having good ideas, but in practice one's just as easily uh, uh, reactive or just as easily polarized? And so there was a, a man, uh, Robert McDermott, who later became the president of CIIS, who made a suggestion which really stayed with me. He said, let's take a practice together. And I don't know if other people liked it and followed it, but I really, I really did. He said, let's take a practice. When you notice you have a different view, let's take it as the beginning of inquiry and the beginning of a learning process rather than the starting point for war and division. And I love that. And it was, it was so amazing. And so, oh, I and this other person have this really different view. Oh, why is that? What's there in me? Is there some background to that? What's my history with that? Um, is there something I might learn from this person? Definitely not. <laughs> But I might actually ask, is there something I can learn with this, with this person, from this person, with this person? <laughs> and um, it changed things. And I took that as a practice uh, a lot for the next 10 years and still do that quite a bit. And it's a wonderful practice. You might take it for the next week because we want to see how can, in particular, can some of our challenging experiences be taken as opportunities for learning, right? Not just for giving in to the reactivity. So that was, that, was also, that was also very inspiring. Where I was thinking about um, Spirit Rock, um, under particularly the guidance of Philip Moffat, we've tried to have Spirit Rock increasingly be understood as a learning community, meaning that everything can be a basis for learning, and that the whole raison d'etre, which means the reason for being in French. Uh, the, uh, the whole reason for being for us is learning, is coming to greater insight, coming to greater clarity, working out where we're stuck. And I love that. that can, a whole organization can take on that model of everything is learning. You know? And that comes out of other... Uh, that idea has been around for 30 or 40 years in organizations who have said, and I, I don't, I think a lot of contemporary organizations say, let us be learning organizations. Let us take everything as learning. Not easy. Right? Not easy. How can your family, your group, your organization say, let us take everything as learning? And we'll come in a moment to what's needed 
to make that possible. And yet we know that our habitual tendencies are to want the pleasant and to avoid the unpleasant. We know that. The very deep habitual tendencies may be rooted evolutionarily. Is this a threat? Is this, you know, is this either food or potential mate? At a, at, a, at a very simple biological level, uh, we're wired that way, right? We're wired in a certain way to assess everything as either something good for me or bad for me, according, you know, along certain categories. As human beings, we seem to have the capability of going beyond that. You know, maybe that's still there, but that, is not, that, that does not seem to define us as human beings, certainly not in the teachings of our great sages and saints. They're saying, yes, that's part of the conditioning, but if we let ourselves simply be ruled by that, we are not truly humans. We are not truly touching our potential. And yet we have to come to grips with that deep conditioning that and the habitual tendencies of wanting the pleasant, wanting what we like, and not wanting what we don't like, what we, find, what we find unpleasant. We know that that's connected with this teaching of, uh, in the tradition of Vedana, or feeling tone, the second foundation of mindfulness, which says that every experience is either pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral. And if we don't track that carefully, the, when we have a pleasant experience, it will tend to lead to wanting and grasping. And the unpleasant experiences, when we're not tracking it, not careful, will tend to lead to not wanting and pushing away. And the neutral experiences will lead to spacing out, not being interested, right? <coughs> that there are deep uh, tendencies for that. I you know, like to illustrate this tendency, even among meditators, by this cartoon that some of you know, I, I offer it occasionally. Meditators sitting saying, today I will live in the moment. Unless the moment is unpleasant, in which case I will eat a cookie. <laughs> that, that is an early level of practice. <laughs> and actually, it's actually, it actually can be very important in initial times of practice actually to encounter more calm, more peace, more pleasant experiences. It actually can be important if we're coming to our practice with, from difficulty. To have a refuge and to have that refuge be there at times is very important if we're coming from difficulty. So I don't want to, I, I want to recognize that. You know, but at a certain point, we can open up to be with the unpleasant. And it's an important part of our practice. And yet it's, it's challenging to open to the difficult. And sometimes when the difficult happens, it seems like our practice, uh, as I said, goes out the window. We want the cookie. You know, and there's a great line, which again, I, I, I like so much, I, I give it from time to time, from the Tibetan tradition, which says, when the sun shines and my belly is full, I look like a Dharma practitioner. <laughs> but when faced with trouble, my faults are exposed. Is really pointing to the fact that, the, the, as it were, the mature practitioner can work skillfully with the troubles, right? 
is not a, what, a, a fair-weather practitioner. <laughs> um, really crucial point. Um, so reflect, I'd like to invite you to reflect right now. What are some of the experiences, or think of one or two experiences that you have that it's hard for you to take them as learning, or it's hard for you to frame this experience as potentially part of a learning process, just to reflect silently now. What are some things that make it hard to keep that model of this being under the framework of learning? Let me, let me invite some people maybe to speak. Uh, yeah, let's see. We'll, we can use the microphone. Great. And, and see if you can formulate it just in a sentence so we can have uh, time for several people to speak. So not, not a one or two minute response, but just a sentence like this. This situation is hard for me to be with and think that it's learning. So anyone want to volunteer for, for the group? Yeah. Hi. Hi. I'm Juanita. Uh, I've been uh, in a business relationship with my brother for almost my whole life, and it's very difficult for me to find a way to work with him. And yet it's been going on for so long. Yeah, so difficult to take this uh, situation and have the sense, oh, I'm just in a learning situation with my brother in this business, right? Yeah, yeah, and again, yeah, others. Difficult to deal with a stepson who didn't want his father and I to marry. Well, yeah, difficult to deal with a stepson uh, who didn't want um, you and your current husband to marry. Yeah. So we're getting to family material. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, my uh, daughter, her partner, and their baby just moved in with us. Yeah. A huge challenge, a, an amazing treat, but a huge challenge. Yeah, it's hard to take that as learning. Yeah. 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 Others. And they don't, they don't have to be, I, you, know, you know, I like to give the model of degrees of difficulty. These seem, to, and, and have a model of zero to ten, these seem to be potentially near the ten. <laughs> the ten area. You could also name some that are fives or sixes or sevens. Yeah. Not, not that you, no pressure. <laughs> um, listening to the platforms and characteristics of the current Republican candidates for presidency. Okay. How to take listening to the news and positions about the election as part of a learning process. <laughs> yeah. Living with chronic pain. Yeah, living with chronic pain. Yeah, so the, these again, it, it's helpful. I'm going to say it's very helpful to know what the degree of difficulty is. And some of these are, I think, towards the upper range where, where that's harder. I think we practice and learn, especially where it's, where it's a little less intense. But nonetheless, can we frame it like that? 
please. This is more towards the lower end of the scale, yeah. but um, auto repair, mm -hmm. e even though I'm no longer in a situation where I'm living from paycheck to paycheck, yeah. I still get very reactive about my car breaking down. Yeah, so can I take as a learning process my relationship to my car? Maybe, uh, yeah, maybe there's one right in the back, I think. Did you I know. Okay, so we'll have three more. Okay, just the three who had their hands up, yeah. I've had a situation where I feel I've been the victim of um, injustice. Oh, yeah. And I think in my better moments, I realized that as a privileged white woman yeah. from Marin County, I can use this as a way to connect with mm. people who experience much greater oh, well. injustices. But in my smaller moments, it's not fair. <laughs> oh, so beautiful example, because that you, you actually went to that framing of a, as a learning experience. It's hard to stay there. It's hard to stay there, but it's there some. So that's beautiful. Yeah, thank you. I was just going to add uh, just times when I feel responsible. Sometimes you when feel I feel responsible, responsible. In, a, in a certain situation. Yeah, yeah. So, so maybe something which, uh, feeling responsible where it might trigger whatever, guilt, shame, judgment, self-judgment. Those are hard. Those are hard. Because we, we get caught in the, the old patterns, right? Maybe uh, last two. Okay. It's been three and a half months since a construction worker started rebuilding a closet for us, and it's still only about halfway done. <laughs> okay. Now, you know, now some, some situations, you no, know, she, can, she can go with Marty. Yeah, some situations we won't even try to bring. <laughs> yeah, just joking. Yeah, but uh, home uh, uh, construction projects at home. Yeah, and maybe last one, Marty. Feeling unappreciated for something that I do that I expect appreciation for, yeah. and being disagreed with by my husband. <laughs> being disagreed with by your husband, and then places where you don't get appreciation. So, yeah, these uh, most of these sound like they're near the upper range on a scale of zero to ten. So very important. Uh, we we as much as we can. We want to uh, much. You were name was Andrea. much as Andrea did with a challenging situation where you found a way to frame it as learning. You know, much as in my example with um, with Glenda with the Parkinson's diagnosis. Uh, but a lot of these others, very challenging, the upper range. I think we actually learn about the most difficult by strengthening this capacity to take everything as learning with uh, situations which are more in the middle range. And so that's, that's part of a response. That what, we're, what I heard us naming were ones that are, wow, this is really, really, really hard. And they may be hard because they trigger our old patterns and it's hard not to be lost in them. That's, I, mean, I, that's, I, I could read that as part of the background, right? There's some old patterns of judgment, of um, blame, reactivity, uh, in which it's hard to get out of them. So we can see that uh, a lot of our practice <coughs> to take everything as learning will be to learn how to be with these difficult patterns. It'll be how to be with difficult emotions, the mind being reactive, 
being locked into certain patterns that are uh, what catalyzed by a particular situation. But I think the, the learning especially is just to start to take um, challenges of any kind, including the small ones, as invitations to practice. I do believe that when we say, oh, there's difficulty, another opportunity for practice, or take my own difficulty, my own suffering, um, our practice accelerates tremendously. When we actually get interested in how we get stuck. Was this what you were expecting to hear this morning? <laughs> when we actually are inter- have some interest, and again, I'm, I'm not, I think there is, can be a, a gradient, so we're not, we don't go right to the most difficult, but can I be interested where I get mildly, where there's mild suffering, where I'm mildly stuck or moderately stuck? I think we practice there, but having some interest in where I get stuck, where there's some suffering, is a um, really necessary part of our practice for taking everything as practice. Again, Tibetan, a Tibetan uh, practice guide says, take all obstacles as the path of practice. Wow. Not easy. And again, uh, there's a lot of skill in when do I, when do, how do I go with, to the difficulties, when do I go? Often, to be with difficulties, we need to spend a lot of time where they're not difficulties. You know, and so, you know, for someone who wants to take uh, a moment of suffering as a starting point for practice, I think we need to spend a lot of time also being with, uh, with beauty, with beautiful states, with metta, with the kind heart, with calm. This practice isn't just about single-mindedly going into difficulties. We need the resources and, in a way, the, uh, the time for recuperation, the time for hanging out with wonderful states. And I think if we're actually working with difficulties, part of what's called for is to also know how to spend a lot of time with beautiful states and keep practicing that. Again, it could be heart practices, could be the, the calm of concentration, uh, and to be able to be there. Because I don't think we, we can sim- simply spend a good chunk of our time, most of our time, with difficulties when we have a choice. Sometimes we don't have a choice. But part of the uh, basis for being with the difficulties is to uh, spend time with calm, with beauty, with a kind heart, with a sense of this is uh, my nature, and then go into the difficult states. And so this is some of what, this is the last part I want to talk about. This is some of what makes our practice to take everything as learning possible. We need to have certain resources. Some of it is to really have this access to beautiful states, to hang out there, or to have it as part of one's practice, to be with beauty, to be with the forest, to be with that which brings us uh, balance, with centeredness, to have body practices like yoga or qigong. I think anyone who has a commitment to take everything as learning has to have a lot of resources where we spend time with wonder, beauty, with uh, feeling replenished. Really crucial to this. And so maybe, um, yeah, maybe next time 
There's some other things I was going to bring out here that have to do with uh, uh, some of the other qualities that help us to take everything as learning. I was going to mention uh, mindfulness and uh, really strengthening the mindfulness, strengthening these heart practices, to, you know, which help us to develop more confidence and faith, which is a big part of this. Having the confidence and faith to be there with challenges, even the level 10, and keep a center. Right? So I think I'll give a little more attention to that next time. So let me, um, let me invite you to um, maybe just to take a quiet moment now and contemplate uh, whether, how many of you would like to for the next week go in with the motivation every day, may I take what comes up today as part of a learning process? How many of you would like to take that on? Okay, very good. Okay, so that's, that is a, that is a majority. <laughs> okay, so... Um, Let's, let's find ways to take that on. One way would be to really bring that intention to yourself at the beginning of the day. Right? Let me take everything as learning. Let me find some ways where you have a difficult situation and say, may I try as much as possible to take this as learning and not simply a curse. Right? May, I, may I hear and really come to know better the voices or the habits or the patterns that would keep me stuck rather than responsive. May I do that. Okay, so let's, let's just sit with that for a moment. What would be your intentions for best following through on that core intention to take everything as learning? for the next week. What will help you? What will the challenges be? Again, what will help me to frame my life like this for the next week? And what challenges might I expect? What habits might come up? So I'll just close with uh, one of my favorite uh, Rilke poems. This is from one of his uh, sonnets to Orpheus. You who let yourselves feel 
Enter the breathing that is more than your own. Let it brush your cheeks as it divides and rejoins behind you. Blessed ones, whole ones, you where the heart begins. You are the bow that shoots the arrows and you are the target. Fear not the pain. Let its weight fall back into the earth, for heavy are the mountains, heavy the seas. The trees you planted in childhood have grown too heavy. You cannot bring them along. Give yourselves to the air, to what you cannot hold. So thank you for your kind attention. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.